You're listening to Cornerstone Conversations, a podcast by Cornerstone in Fort Worth, Texas. My name is Jeremy McNair, and I'm the worship pastor here at Cornerstone. And today I'm joined again by our lead pastor, Bobby Harrell, and our children's pastor, Josh Martin. Together, we're going through a discussion of our Sunday morning series entitled Hall of Faith, which is a deep dive into the characters that Hebrews 11 points out as being noted for their faith in God. As you listen, we would love for you to be a part in the conversation that's happening. You can do that by texting us your comments, questions, and feedback to 817-809-3040. What we love to do is to bring in all of your comments and develop them into discussion questions that we can ask each other and have a more robust understanding of the text as we go through it. Again, we're so happy and thankful that you're listening. We can't wait to continue our study through the Hall of Faith. The author of Hebrews has spent a lot of time on Abraham and Sarah, and rightly so. They are pivotal characters in the story of God, incredibly important. Matter of fact, I tell people, if you don't understand Abraham, you're really not going to get most of the Bible. Well, because he, I mean, you you mentioned this in our last episode, he is kind of the main character in Genesis, aside from God himself. He's mentioned 300 and something times. That's a lot of times. A lot of times that he's the father of God's people. Plot twist, not just biologically, but by faith. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot of plot twists in these stories of the Old Testament. They are called to reproduce a nation through their offspring. Plot twist, Sarah's barren. You know, plot twist, Abraham's hundred. You know, the other plot twist is Sarah is his half sister. Is his half sister. So who knows the, what these children are looking like? Oh, yeah. Like. Yeah. yeah. The, the plot twist just come nonstop. Yeah. So the big point is, though, God is calling a people to be his people. None of the nations of the earth want to be that people. So God says, I'll just make a new nation. And through Abraham and Sarah, now the nation is happening. Yeah. We fast forwarded over a lot of material. And so today we're going to talk about Isaac. There's so Isaac being Abraham's son, their son. And then Jacob and Esau are the grandsons. Yeah. The story's really about Jacob though, and not Esau. So let me talk about that in these cultures of patriarchy. The firstborn is this honored status. Mm-hmm. Firstborn male is a very honored status. And even in these stories where people grow up in church learning the Bible stories and somehow try to adopt some modern version of this misogyny and male dominance into the modern church. One of the things that I think they're missing, and one of the things I missed for years, is that God is trying to break some of this broken cultural patterns Mm. right before our eyes, but we're missing it sometimes. Can you give us an example of that? Well, for example, Abraham's firstborn is actually Ishmael, Mm -hmm. not Isaac. Yeah. And it's Isaac is the son to whom the blessings and the promise pass. Mm -hmm. And then Isaac is going to have twins. We'll talk about that in a minute. Esau, the firstborn and Jacob, the secondborn and the blessing passes to Jacob, the secondborn. Mm -hmm. 
And then Jacob is going to have 12 kids. And the blessing gets passed to. Not Judah and Simeon and these, or any of these others. All the way down the line, it gets passed. So what you're seeing is you're seeing, you know, very subtly God's smashing the brokenness of this old system while yeah. not completely overturning it. It still is the system, but God is saying, yeah, just because you were the first one to come out of the womb doesn't mean you're the brightest. Right. Yeah. It doesn't mean you're the one that is going to be the most godly. Yeah. doesn't mean you're the one that's going to live by faith. As a matter of fact, Esau and Jacob are a good contrast, and we can talk more about them in a minute, where Esau, we don't really see where Esau has a heart for the things of God at all, mm-hmm. completely despises the whole notion of being the people of God. So that when Jacob says, hey, I, I want to buy the birthright. I want to buy from you. I want to barter with you yeah. this firstborn status, this thing that is this, you know, head of the people of God title. Mm-hmm. I want to barter the blessing from you. And Esau's just like, yeah, what do you got to eat? Is that <laughs> right. wolf brand chili? Okay. How about I just trade we'll you? That'll work. How about I just trade you my status yeah. as the future head of God's people and the blessings that come with that for a big steaming bowl of that wolf brand chili? Hmm. And they make the deal. Yeah. And so anyway, you see God kind all along the way really messing with the system in place until a time comes when it can be eradicated. Yeah. So the author quickly moves from Abraham's story now to Isaac. So that'll be their second born, but the promised son, if you would. And then when you get to Genesis 24, you'll see the story of where Abraham tells his servant this like trusted fixer. That's what I want Eliezer to be in your mind. He's not just like, I don't know, a house slave. This is like a guy who would transact business on behalf. Borderline an advisor is is kind of the way. What's the Italian mafia word? Consigliere? Yeah, consigliere. Yeah. Are are you guys members of the mafia? I don't know because I never would have known that. He's (laughs) Abraham's fixer. That's let's call him that. He's like the chief of staff for Abraham. And so he says, Eliezer, okay, my son's of marrying age now. And I do not want my son to marry a Canaanite. He must only marry someone from our own family people. Yeah. Said no American ever. Right. Hey, we're going to go back and see if we can find one of your cousins to marry. How about a first cousin? Because that's what's about to happen. No, thank you. And we're just (laughs) like, yeah, no, we want our kids to be normal. You know what I'm saying? And so no. And so, but this was the ancient practice and he did not want, and you'll see this through several generations, this stigma of you live in Canaan land Mm -hmm. and yet you absolutely refuse to put them on an equal status with yourself and let your sons and daughters intermarry. Yeah. Okay. And so now the argument doesn't hold when you say, well, he doesn't want them to marry idolaters. What do you think their people are? Yeah. And I can prove that later when Rachel steals the family idols from her father Laban, they are idolaters. They're right. sending their serve fixer to get an idolater yeah. wife for their son. Really, any good excuse that they had gets thrown out the window. Absolutely. Look at what they're actually doing. Correct. So, but what I want you to see is I want you to see again, the brokenness of culture that says, 
I mean, the racist word is a strong word, but you see a lot of racism in these ancient cultures where it's very clannish, it's very cliquish, it's very us, but not you, an us versus them attitude. And it's not like there weren't some great Canaanite women for them to connect their son to their right. work. Yeah, it was just a stance that was based solely on the lineage. And Which I, again goes back to even our last episode. We talked a lot about this, about how Abraham's lineage really meant something for a very long time. The the actual family of Abraham in the same way, these same lineage lines really mean something to these people to their detriment. Yeah. Like you're saying, it's not like there's not good people who don't belong to their family. You know, if it works out the way we're planning right now in the month of May. In honor of Mother's Day, I'd love to do a four or five sermon series on some of these Old Testament women. Yeah. They are incredible women, famous personalities. But often misrepresented. Misrepresented or completely ignored for their contribution. And some of them are Canaanite women. Mm -hmm. Some of them are Moabite women. Thinking of like Ruth and Tamar and some of these key players are outside the biological lineage of Abraham, but just because they don't have his, let me say it this way for everyone listening. It's a mistake for you to think that people just like you are the only good people. Yeah. Yeah, That's a very condensed. It's close-minded. It's naive. You, especially when we're talking about the mind of God and trying to view his creation as he would, we've got to step back and view it from 30,000 feet. And that's not what they were doing. They were viewing it from, all right, here's my little half inch of the universe that I'm allowed to work within. Mm -hmm. And whatever weird stuff we have to do to make that happen is what we'll do. When they should have been thinking with the mind of God, living in faith that we can zoom out and we've got actually a lot more freedom than we're giving ourselves. Yeah. We believe that in this modern era, cross-cultural ministry is ministry. We just really don't believe that there can be a closed mindedness or a closed offness or a xenophobic attitude towards anything different than you. You're going to have to be cross-cultural. I mean, our Hispanic population in Texas is soaring. Yeah. And And you see one of two reactions to that. You either see people just completely ignore them and and really become resentful to the increase in Hispanic population. Or you see people who actually try to care for these people because they're here. here. So let's care for them. And we very purposely want to be in the camp of let's care for the people that God's put in front of us and not just be resentful for their presence. In a perfect world. One reaction sounds very Christ-like and one reaction doesn't. In a perfect world, they would have come legally. Sure. We all agree with that. They're here though. They're not going away. Yeah. They are human beings, with, which Jesus died with, for. With equal access to Christ and yeah. equal permission to be part of this faith family. Yeah. Correct. And how dare we be resentful of their presence? That's just and, is and so antithetical of, to what God would want. On top of that, equal value to any of us. They yeah. are images of God just like we are. Correct. And yeah. they are valuable. And, you know, if you're listening to this and you're a pastor of another ministry here in Texas, we would urge you, open your heart, open your church open your your ministry to be receptive of all these cross-cultural ministry opportunities 
this very much is a, a biblical stance. Yeah. When the Old Testament is closed off, yeah. it's not saying to us, go and do likewise. Yeah. If anything, it's showing us the world that existed and let it stand in stark contrast to the progress Christianity has made to change the world mm. into what we know today. Right. So they're going to send Isaac back to their own people in Ur of the Chaldees again, mm -hmm. and they're going to send the fixer, Eliezer, and he's going to go find a wife, finds a beautiful woman. And Jeremy, you talked a little bit about this in your sermon about Joseph. Uh, we get now Sarah is called beautiful. Mm -hmm. Rebecca is beautiful. Rachel is beautiful. Joseph, Joseph is, is beautiful. Yeah. Moses is handsome. Why is the Bible fixated on articulating well, this? Well, particularly in the Old Testament. Anytime, because there's so many characters where you have no idea what they look like. This is actually very common in the Old Testament where you just have no idea except for just the mental image you get from reading their story. In the Old Testament, if someone's appearance is specifically mentioned or brought out, it's often because it's part of the story whatever their appearance is, is going to play into their interactions or into the way that other people treat them. But it is important. So as you read your Old Testament, take special note anytime the authors say, this woman was very beautiful. Well, why does that matter to the story? I would ask myself that question immediately. Why does their appearance matter to the story? Because I promise it does. A great example would be Esther. Yeah. Why does it matter that she's beautiful? Well, because they're about to have a Miss Universe contest mm -hmm. and the winner is going to be the queen of the world. Yeah. <laughs> of the empire that rules the world. And it's not illegitimate that Esther is the one who wins. Yeah. No, God orchestrates this. Right. I mean, does God care about Miss Universe pageants? Evidently he does <laughs> because he got his gal in it and gave her favor with the deciding vote. The judge. Yeah. And... He chose God's girl. Yeah. And when she gets in, she becomes the savior of God's people, the Jewish race yeah. in that era. But in that story in particular, this is a great example. Her appearance matters to the story that's being told. Right. Yeah. It explains how yeah. she came to be where she is. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, much Moses the same way. Pharaoh's daughter has to fall in love with this baby. We'll talk about that more. It helps if it's a beautiful baby. Yeah. Yeah. So Especially we, if it's a baby that looks unfamiliar to her culturally, oh. because this is not an Egyptian baby that she sees. This is a Hebrew baby yeah. that she's seeing. And him being particularly handsome probably made him more. How could you not love him? He's right. adorable. Right. Look Regardless of where he comes from. He's not yeah. Egyptian. Sure. But look at him. He's beautiful. How could you not love this little boy? Yeah. So what you get in Genesis 24, let's circle that back around, is you get Eliezer going to get a wife for Abraham's son, Isaac, and he goes and arranges a marriage, strikes a deal. These are financial transactions yeah. that are happening between two families where there are dowries involved and gifts involved. And again, we find this abhorrent today that you would sell your daughters yeah. and that you would buy brides. This is a form of trafficking today. And we would be repulsed by this whole practice. Yeah. Okay. But it's the world of the setting. Well, and honestly, you, you've spoken a lot about this in the past about whether a text is prescriptive or descriptive. Yeah. So prescriptive, meaning this is, you the, must follow it. You must follow this or yeah. descriptive 
as far as this is just what it was. So let me explain yeah. how this can happen. So you can get maybe a real far, far right type of legalistic church reading this and saying, okay, we're going to teach then in our church youth department that dating is forbidden. Mm-hmm. We don't allow people to date. The Bible's against this. See, there's no dating in the Bible. No, but what there is in the Bible is selling your daughter to a family you don't know. Do you think that's a better practice and one that's <laughs> prescriptive? Anyway, so you can really drive the car in the ditch if you misread yeah. the cultural setting here yeah. as being prescriptive. It's not. It's not. Yeah. And it's not meant to be. In fact, this whole family story, because you've got Abraham and Sarah, you've got Isaac, you've got Jacob, Esau, eventually Joseph with all of his family. It is. It reads like a soap opera. It's such sure. a disaster. It, they are a disaster of a family. And you don't want your family to look like these families. Let's skip through Isaac really quickly, then we'll get to Jacob. And I think the whole story on Isaac is this. Isaac is marries Rebecca, and Rebecca again. You see this constant theme of barrenness and a struggle to have children in a shaming culture, right. where that is stigmatized. The woman is seen as a broken if she can't conceive, especially boys. Mm-hmm. When now we know so much about science and biology, that's. Whether she's having a boy or not is totally, it's up to the male, not the female. Anyway, right. it's so broken and backward and unscientific that we know today. But again, it's a shaming culture and Rebecca can't have children. And you'll see Isaac go pray. And I guess the old word beseech, beseech uh, yeah. you know, <laughs> beg God through prayer, you know, please give us a child. You know, you said we were your people. We have faith that we are your people, but I'm a promised son, Isaac. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm a miracle baby of my parents' old age, but if my wife can't have children, you know, this promise dies with our family. Yeah, right. And we believe, God, that you'll give us children. Mm-hmm. And so then she does conceive. She has twins. And even there's so much interesting language here. You said this, like, this is a telenovela. Oh, you, yeah. you know what I'm saying? This whole yeah. thing is could make a fantastic miniseries. But even while she's carrying the babies in her womb, it's like World War Three, Because of course it is. Of course yeah. it is. You know? And like the babies are struggling in my womb. What's going on? They're like fighting each other in my belly. This yeah. is like, you know, turbulence already huh. and they haven't even been born. And it's only downhill from here. It's all, there you go. So <laughs> yeah, this will and, not get better. <laughs> so listen to the description. The firstborn is Esau. And when he comes out, he is red and hairy all over like a little red goat this is like a fur coat it's crazy yeah you know can you imagine you know as ministers a lot of times we either go to the nursery at the hospital or we go you know uh, dedicate babies or we pray over and bless the family can you imagine a a family handing esau to you and you're like is hideous that (laughs) is the ugliest kid i've ever seen in my life what is this hairy monster that you've just given to me anyway we call we nicknamed him red sunday morning when we preached about this yeah. he's red and hairy all over the other son is described as a little more of a quiet guy but a thinker a schemer we would use today either schemer or con man maybe as the as the kind of language to describe him esau is really this rough manly macho man he's a hunter he's a hunter he's an outdoorsman 
I see him with a big old chaw of tobacco and he's got his gun and he's got his horse and <laughs> he's going to kill daddy some 12 point bucks and bring them home. And we're going to, my dad loves that venison and I'm the favorite son. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Jacob yeah. is a quiet cowboy. And I want to put into everybody's minds now from Jacob forward, the sons of Abraham are cattle people. They're cowboys. Now that may mean goats, sheep, camels, cows. Yeah. But ultimately when the story plays out in the next generation of Jacob's sons going down to Egypt, the selling point to Pharaoh is let these guys come down. These are the best cowboys in the world. Mm -hmm. You know, if you, if you want to learn from the pros, these are them, my people are the pros yeah. and they know cattle. And so, you know, you Texans can really relate to this. So Jacob is kind of this quiet cowboy, you know, but he's a schemer. I mean, this is a male Beth Dutton. Okay. Anna Delvey. Anna Delvey. Anna okay. Delvey, so yeah. maybe those will resonate yeah. with our listeners. I don't know. Half and half probably. He's yeah. a schemer. Okay. So anyway, we've already said in previous uh, stories here that Jacob's going to con Esau out of the birthright out of, so the second son becomes the powerful son, not the firstborn. Yeah. This is counter culture to what you read in these old world settings. Mm -hmm. So God's already messing with the system quietly and bringing some different things to pass in his plan as he develops his God's people story. Mm -hmm. So now Jacob is in conflict with Esau, his older brother. And if there's anybody you don't want to tick off, it's, the red hairy beast with all of his guns, you know what I'm saying? And so Esau says, you know, my parents said, never marry Canaanites. The Bible's very clear to point out that Esau goes and marries Canaanite. Yeah. yeah. And you can just see, you know, I'm just going to rebel against mom and dad. I don't care anything about this title of God's people. And, and I guess maybe this is the first time where you see, in the family of God's people, one of those people saying, I don't care anything about yeah, being God's really, people. I don't really feel like being a part of this. Yeah. Well, it doesn't mean anything to me. And so you find him outside of faith, even though he's part of the family, right. if that makes sense. So it's a bizarre kind of dynamic here. Jacob, who is portrayed as a schemer, actually becomes a believer uh, through several encounters with God. And so mom, Rebecca, says to Jacob, your brother wants to kill you. There's bad blood between you two. You need to go back to our people, go back to your cousins in the Ur of Chaldees. Yeah. They've got cattle too. You'll fit in right well there and go to Uncle Laban, my brother, and he'll give you a place of refuge to hide until Esau's anger dies down. Mm -hmm. And so Jacob flees across the Middle East to the kinfolk that he's never met. Yeah. Rides into town on his horse and comes to, a, you know, the watering trough. And there's some people there. Does anybody know a dude named Laban? Yeah, because Facebook doesn't exist yet. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. They, they don't, they're not connected to I, each other. I, I couldn't send him a text and tell him I'm on my way. Right. Does, does anybody know him? And they're like, well, as a matter of fact, here comes his daughter right now to water part of Laban's flocks. And when Rachel shows up, it's the younger daughter. Jacob is smitten. Enamored. Yeah. Head over heels. Love at first sight. Which by the way, again, we find that Rachel is very beautiful. And there's a reason why that's 
even called out as yeah. a characteristic of her. Because you have to see love at first sight. Yeah. You know, if it's a cartoon, his eyes turn into little hearts, yeah. you know, and it's because just. Because he doesn't know Leah or Rachel. No. Yeah. He doesn't know no. them. But there's a reason why Rachel yeah. was immediately the favorite. And she was smitten with him as well. Yeah. And so they're in love. He goes to meet the father. The father says, wow, you're kinfolk. You know, your mother's my sister. Allegedly, we don't really know you. Yeah. But you don't have so. to work here for free, which in his case may have been a subtle way of saying, hey, earn your keep. But yeah. we hear you're a cowboy. Name your wages. He says, well, I want to marry Rachel. I mean, I am in love with that girl. And Laban says, OK, then then work seven years and you can have her. Well, Laban gets the benefit of seven years of cattleman experience where he's going to th- going to really thrive financially yeah. under Jacob's ranching experience. And on the night of the wedding, you know the story, the con man gets conned. I have so many questions about this because what the Bible says is they have a big wedding celebration. He goes into his tent to consummate the marriage with Rachel. And oops, he wakes up in the morning and rolls over and it's Leah instead. Yeah. And he loses his mind and probably rightfully so rightfully so he loses his mind a greater question is how did he not know oh there's so many questions about that how did he not notice uh, wedding reception there at the end and i've I've heard i've heard a lot of things about you know veiling and all this that that would cause her to be you know hidden from him but even still it seems like you'd know i feel like there was a lot of alcohol consumed there's probably at the wedding reception i feel like it's an era of no electricity You know, I feel like there's some real shady dealings going down with Laban, you know, saying maybe it's our our custom for her to dress a certain way on the wedding night. But who knows? You know, maybe Laban says, get in there, son. We've tucked her in for you. She's waiting for you. And he stumbles in there and consummates the marriage and wakes up and loses his mind. Laban, the father-in-law, is just laughing all the way to the bank because he says, okay, 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 calm down, son. Work seven more years for me, and I'll give you the other one as well. As an additional wife. And there's all kinds of built-in plot twists like this. Like Laban says to him, it is not our custom to give the younger before the elder, which is a little dig at him because he stole the birthright from his older brother. It's, yeah. yeah, you might do this. There is, all, there is this. all kinds of payback going on yeah. to Jacob for his schemings and his conning. Well, you know, before he, he arrived here, God had appeared to him and said, my blessing is on you and I'm going to make you my people. And know you're riding off into the unknown here to meet your uncle and maybe get a wife and all of this. I just want you to know I will be with you. Now, this becomes part of the theme that you really spoke about, Jeremy, with Joseph. It is the constant theme in Joseph's life. I will be with you yeah. for Jacob too, for Abraham too. I will be with you. Mm-hmm. I'm going to watch over you. So that Jacob now responds to God and says, you know, God, if you will be with me, I mean, if this is all true, and I believe it is, my faith is this, then I put my trust in you and I will be your people. Yeah. And Jacob, who was a very materialistic guy, makes a big statement a tenth of my possessions I will give to you. Now, there is no New Testament church. There are places of worship, though, because we know even when his grandfather, Abraham, came back from delivering the captives of Sodom and Gomorrah, that Abraham gave a tenth of all 
to the priest of Salem, right? Yeah, Melchizedek, who becomes this kind of a pre-picture of maybe Christ in the Old Testament, but this king of peace, this priest of Jerusalem. So anyway, I just want to say there was, wherever there is this complete devotion to God, there is God, I am your people, which translates to all of us, my possessions are also your possessions. I dedicate my life and my wealth to your mission. And a lot of people ask about tithing in the New Testament. These are the roots of it being found in the Old Testament. And whether the tithing per se is found in the New Testament is not the issue. The issue is those who belong to God, belong to God. Yeah. yeah. My heart, my mind, my hands. My resources. My resources. And this is what allows us to accelerate the kingdom of God and the mission of making disciples when God's people rally together to give to the humanitarian efforts, to the disciple making efforts, it accelerates it. So let's fast forward the story. Jacob has to flee from Laban by night because they're at, after 20 years of working there, you know, seven for Leah, seven for Rachel, and then six more for cattle wages. The story's amazing, by the way, and there was no time to tell all the story when I spoke about yeah, this. It, in a Sunday morning bracket, it's just too much. Laban's trying to con Jacob 10 times changing his wages. And it looks something like this for the uninitiated reader. Laban says, okay, every time a cow has a spotted calf, you can have that one. That'll be your wages. Okay. The only problem <laughs> is we have purebred Angus. They're jet black. Yeah. But if a spotted one pops out, you can have you it. You can have that one. Yeah, sure. So when Jacob says, okay, all right, hey, God, if you're still with me, as you promised you would be, could we have some spotted calves, please? And suddenly all the cows start having spotted calves. Hmm. Laban is losing his mind now. Oh, yeah. Well, let's pump the brakes here. So Laban comes to him and says, okay, 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 okay. What I meant to say was every striped cow it's called ring straked. It's kind of a brindle look. Every ring straked cow that's born, you can have that calf. So Jacob gets out there with God and does some, you know, symbolic things. And yeah. all the cows start having striped babies. <laughs> Laban loses is about 10 times. We go through this kind of stuff. Which also, I mean, you, know, you can I, have the brown ones. They're all brown. They're all brown now. You yeah. can have the red ones. They're all red now. And so there's no you way you think he would have learned the lesson yeah god is clearly with him yeah. yeah so but laban will never really let him leave so now they feel like oh my goodness the girls and i and our kids are captives yeah we've become indentured servants to this man so he gathers rachel and Leah and says okay listen we got to get out of dodge girls and we're gonna have to sneak out by night tonight and the girls are totally supportive they're like yeah our dad's total con man and he sold us and he's mistreated you and we're afraid we are captives in a foreign country get us out of here and so at night they pack everything up and they head back to the promised land Mm -hmm. okay going back to isaac the only problem is esau's waiting over there to kill him and you know laban's chasing him from one direction and esau's waiting on the other and man he finds himself between a rock and a hard place let me fast forward the story god appears to him in a dream and says do not mess with jacob and after about a week they catch him and they're at a place called mizpah and when he catches him laban says okay I might have thought I was going to hurt you, but God clearly said, don't touch you. 
but I just want to voice that I'm mad at you because you left at night and you stole my daughters yeah. and you didn't let me kiss them goodbye and you've robbed me of giving my grandchildren a hug yeah. and you know this sob story yeah. that you're just like yeah right whatever and then he says and besides that somebody you stole my family gods hmm. well jacob's already struck a deal to be god's people with god yeah he didn't steal the gods and so he makes a bold statement and said if you find your gods here you just kill whoever's got them yeah no one knows that the favorite little angel rachel has stolen the family gods yeah and has them hidden in the saddlebags of her camel and she's sitting on top of them while they're searching everything. Yeah. And so this is another drama, drama R-rated drama yeah. that you don't even want to go through all the details. It was a major moment in the church when I talked about this and all of the elementary kids went out of the service and were <laughs> appalled that the pastor was talking about all of this drama in public. And anyway, so basically what happens at Mizpah as Jacob and his father-in-law make a peace treaty. And they make- which, which I, you made a really big deal about this in your sermon a few weeks ago, is that this is oftentimes viewed Mizpah. You know, it's like you've got the little, uh, you put up a picture of like a locket kind of thing, a charm yeah. that, that showed we are united even in separation. You know, God's yeah. with us. And it, we turn it into this really sweet little Christian yeah. thing. It's not really the vibe that's happening not here. Not at all. No, Definitely not. No. If you Google Mizpah jewelry, it's religious jewelry that's sold in Christian sites and bookstores yeah. where like half the heart goes to you and half the heart goes to your yeah. bestie. And you're like, you know, may the Lord watch over us while we are separated is what right. it says. That is not at all what happened. So how did Christianity get here? Well, what happened is they looked at Genesis 31 verse 49, where Laban says, may the Lord watch between you and me when we are out of each other's sight. And they took that verse and said, that's a really sweet verse. I feel that way about my cross-country best friend. So let's make a locket out of that. He's saying, may the Lord keep this distance between us because I really want to kill you. Yeah. It's exactly what the text is saying. Well, read, read verse 50. If you mistreat my daughters or take other wives, though no one is with us, understand that God will be a witness between you and me. In other words, may God strike you dead. This is yeah. a warning. You yeah. know? And because we didn't read one verse further, we turned into this whole marketing campaign. It's like Hallmark style. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's not about that. It's not about how sweet the sentiment is here. So that is a very great classic teaching moment not to proof text yeah do proof not, texting being don't take a verse out of its context and make it a bumper sticker make yeah. it a quote of the day yeah you know this is why a verse of the day reading of the bible is dangerous yeah because you could put that verse on like a verse of the day calendar or you know pod, and, it, and it's uh, beautiful in isolation yeah it's beautiful in isolation the only problem is that's not what the bible says right yeah. it says the exact opposite of what you think it says yeah it's saying we are now enemies and we don't trust each other at all right and if you don't take care of my daughters may god strike you dead <laughs> and this pile of rocks called mizpah is now the barrier between our two peoples and if Jacob says, and if you cross over Laban to do me harm, may God strike you dead. Yeah. yeah. We don't trust each other as far as we can throw each other. Don't you dare cross the line. Mizpah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's Definitely. not sweet. Give that to one of your friends if you hate them and never that, want to see him yeah. again. This is actually a charm you would give to your worst enemy. Yeah. And say, may God strike you dead if you mistreat me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. aside from that, though, God bless. 
You know, it's, it's, it's like it's like a like a southern woman thing. Like, yeah. oh, God bless yeah. his soul. You know, it's like okay, that's kind of the vibe here. So that major chapter of God's people is closed. There's one more major chapter to come for Jacob. He still has to face his past. Yeah, Esau. And I could make a lot of spiritual application to us about you know your past often does come back into your present and you have to deal with unfinished business of the past. And if you have unfinished business in the past, try to bring closure to it. If maybe you need to say, I'm sorry to someone, say it. Yeah. Even if a lot of time has passed and you didn't realize you did something wrong, but now you realize you did something wrong, send somebody a note and say, Hey, you know, God just convicted me of something long forgotten, but you know, when God reminded me of it, I felt like I needed to reach out to you and say, I did you wrong. I'm sorry. And ask for you to, you know, just let's have some closure on that. Sometimes if you can make restitution for something you did wrong, maybe you need to make restitution. Even if the restitution isn't accepted, at least there's closure. Maybe there's unfinished business with God. Maybe you make promises in the past and you haven't kept your promises to God. These Old Testament covenants, this is what we're really dealing with. Yeah, yeah for sure. Is promises God makes to us and promises we make back to Him. And if you haven't kept a promise to God, you know, maybe even this podcast serves as a moment you're listening, driving down the highway. Maybe you need to obviously not close your eyes in prayer while you're driving. Please, please but, don't do that. <laughs> but maybe it's a time when just in your heart you cry out to God and say, God, maybe. You know, I told you I would do this and I haven't followed through with that. I'm sorry. And let me get back on track in order to move forward. In order to, you move have forward. to confront your past. At time. And so, yeah. which is great that you bring this up because throughout these stories of Abraham and Jacob, they keep coming back to a place called Bethel mm -hmm. or Bethel house of God in these passages of Genesis, Bethel in Genesis becomes a place of renewal spiritually, a place of God, I've drifted in my relationship with you. And I think that's something every listener could find some absolute commonality yeah. with. We yeah. all do that. Coming back to Bethel needs to be a frequent experience in our life. Yeah. For those of you listening, Cornerstone is your Bethel. You can have more than one, mm -hmm. you know, it may not be the place you got saved, but it's at least the place you encounter God as the spirit of God fills the temple of our assembly, according right. to first Corinthians every week when we meet together, never can you, I mean, you can find God anywhere. I don't want to say that, but there's something special about the temple of God being filled with the spirit of God, right? God is present in a unique way. Fall on your face and say, God, I want to renew some things today. So, you know, if you're listening in a foreign country, find your Bethel, mm -hmm. find a place where you can connect with God and renew your walk with him. And that's really what happens to Jacob. And when he does, his encounter with Esau goes swimmingly, as yeah. the British would say. Yeah. Right. Instead of a violent encounter. Yeah. And that there again, that brings it back to what an act of faith for him to even take that step. Because if we were working with that con man that we had previously, he would have never gone back to Bethel. Yeah. He true. would have never went back to Esau. He conned him. He's done. He's got what he can take from him and he's ready to move on. But in faith, he's, you know, the spirit has transformed his heart. He's willing to go back to Bethel. He's willing to go back to Esau and say, listen, man, what I did was not okay. 
and I would really like to, you know, make it right so that we can be God's people. Esau hugs his neck, says all is forgiven. Yeah. I'd like to say something maybe in closing of this section, Jeremy, maybe you could elaborate on this. I think our call in this era in which we live is not to, here's a lesson we can learn, okay, from Jacob. Don't see people as just a means of gaining something. Yeah. See people as valuable to God. Well, because they are. Yeah. And this is one thing, especially in the discipleship process, you learn very quickly that people are always at varying stages of maturity. And with that varied stage also comes with different levels of faith that they have in God. But God still gives them equal access to be members of his family. God still gives them equal access to be children of his. He loves them and cares for them and gives equal access to the benefit of his death in salvation. And what we do sometimes is we assume that some people are more worthy of our affection or more worthy of our time, our commitment, our love or whatever. And we put these weird designations that really ascribe value to people in a way that God never intended or wanted. Yeah. And we become just as bad as some of these Old Testament characters yeah. who say, I can't dissociate with you just because of your family. Yeah. That's not really the point that we're supposed to be making from all this. In the same way, we can't say, I'm going to give you a certain amount of attention or care as a believer or even as an unbeliever just because I don't see you as valuable. It's just not healthy. It's not a healthy way to can, approach we people. We can see the flaw of their culture where they ascribe value to birth order yeah. or maleness over femaleness. Right. And we can say, oh, that's so broken. But what about our own culture? How do we misvalue people? Yeah. You know, in our culture, we're like, you know, if you're famous, we value you more Right. Than yeah. the local school teacher who pours her life into children. I would even yeah. say from a Christian realm, what we see so many times is people really jump onto, I don't even want to say celebrity pastors, but they've got very specific famous pastors that they will listen to and take in all the information they can from them and then go back and argue with their local pastor yeah. about. Is As the it, spirit not working through your local pastor the same way? Right. But what we've done is we've elevated the status of these famous pastors to say, we're going to listen to you over the counsel that God's actually put in my life. Yeah. It's yeah. a problem. Yeah. And we've made it a weird classist moment in the same way that the Old Testament. Yeah. So it's a very yeah. human problem to wrongly ascribe values to people. Yeah. We're perpetrating the same sin, if yeah. you would, just it looks a little differently. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a big challenge to us as well as to, you know, look through the eyes of Jesus. And the one thing you see in the life of Jesus is he saw all people as valuable. And he got in trouble for it often. Yeah. By the religious crowd because yeah. he did. Yeah. He would value a Roman soldier or a peasant or the president of the synagogue or a Pharisee or a fisherman all on an equal footing. Yeah. And that's the great thing about the cross of Jesus Christ and our faith. It really levels the playing field and anyone has access and everyone is valuable. And I think that's probably a great place to end the story of Jacob. What happens at the end of the story is God changes his name and he says, you're no longer going to be called Jacob as you've wrestled with God tonight. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to call you Israel, Israel, the one who struggles with God and prevails. <laughs> and so now going forward, whenever you say Israel in the story, you're really talking about Jacob and his children. Yeah. Another synonym for that would be the people of God. Yeah. Israel. Yeah. So the children of Israel are what's to come and the 12 tribes are on the way.
Guys, I really love studying through these characters. One, because as someone who grew up in the church, I've heard all these stories, but I've kind of accepted them as stories from my childhood that I don't really revisit in the same way or revisit with any kind of depth and intention for understanding. But this is a, a wonderful excuse and opportunity for us to go back and look at these Old Testament characters, see them as real people and understand how God used them, flaws and all, to be representatives of what wonderful faith looks like. I'm having such a good time going through the Hall of Faith series with our church family here at Cornerstone on Sunday mornings. And if you have any questions about how you can be a part of those services, all that information can be found on our website at cbc.family. You can also go back and re-listen to any old podcasts or sermon series on our website, cbc.family media, or on any of the major podcast providers. And again, as you listen, if there's anything that you think you have that would be beneficial to the discussion, if, whether that's a question or a comment, something that you agree with or disagree with, or something that you really found applicable to you in your personal life, we would love to hear those things. You could send us your comments to 817-809-3040. We love to get text messages and take those and make it into development for future Cornerstone conversations that we can all have now together.